This episode of Country Queer Spotlight is brought to you by New West Records. Pick up your copy of Aaron Lee Tastian's fourth solo album, Tastian, 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 available now at newwestrecords.com or your local indie record store. This podcast is also brought to you by Symphony Space in New York City. Join musician Jake Blount in a virtual performance highlighting Appalachian music traditions and the experiences of queer people and people of color. May 6th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Information and tickets at symphonyspace.org. Ride me cowboy Till the cows have come home Till the cows, till the cows come home Look deep in my eyes Put your hands on my thighs And ride, ride, ride Saddle up, cowpokes, and get ready to hit the trail with Country Queer Spotlight the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. Join your host, Rachel Coles, as she chats with her guests about their music, their background, their influences, and more. Let's ride. Ride me cowboy Till the cows come home Till the cows, till the cows come home Deep in my eyes Put your hands on my thighs All right, well, S.G. Goodman, welcome to Country Queer Spotlight. It's so great to have you. Oh, it is a pleasure, truly. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm going to read this whole intro I wrote for you. Feel free to dispute any of it. We are an open forum here. So yeah, so S.G. Goodman released her debut album, Old Time Feeling, back in May. The release was disrupted, of course, by the whole, you know, but the album is incredible and I'm so glad we get to talk about it now, and it speaks to Goodman's Kentucky roots, her experiences with growing up queer in the rural and evangelical South, and what it means to hold on to Southern identity along with the others that she's grown into. So SG and I are going to dive deep into the album today, but before I let her introduce herself, let's listen to The Way That I Talk, because I feel like that's sort of a thesis statement for this whole album. She said that I know what you're thinking when you hear the way I talk when you hear the way I talk when you hear the way I talk. She said that I know what you're thinking when you hear the way I talk when you hear the way I talk when you hear the way I talk.
I love this song. <laughs> Thank you. I, I hear a lot of class consciousness in it, as well as pointing out how racism is used as a tool to further oppress poor people of all races. How did you get all of that into three verses? I'm so jealous. <laughs> I don't know. I would say, since you said I could dispute you a little bit, I'm yeah, not please. really sure. I mean, of course, a lot of times when we're describing like socioeconomic things, race obviously plays a big factor. I don't think I was necessarily as a white woman from the South talking about race specifically there, but I was talking about just how the poor are the scapegoats most of the time. And also I started out with, with my first line kind of describing the way people look at me when I talk and the stereotypes that go along with having a a thick Southern draw of maybe you're uneducated or extremely conservative or whatever people make a lot of assumptions on just uh, that type of thing. And so that was kind of like my little anthem leading in. And honestly, I don't think I've ever told uh, anybody this, but I make no apologies that I totally celebrate the death of Rush Limbaugh. I think he's poisoned our society and has poisoned a lot of people I love and affected the way they look at me. And so it was a very personal death for me. And when I say her mother heard the devil on the midday radio, I'm talking about Rush Limbaugh. So I've never said that out loud before, but a song like came really, really full circle this year. And it is really personal and, you know, kind of precious to me. So I don't know. I feel like there was so much you could say about those subjects. I'm not sure if I did it in the best way, but, you know, it's done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's also always capacity to learn and grow. Do you feel like we're almost a year into the albums of being out in the world? Is there anything you would do differently or things you're going to do differently for your next one? I would say probably not. I'm not Mm going to reinvent the wheel here. You know, I've been asked a lot of questions about whether or not this was some sort of concept album because there are a few more politically leaning songs on here, but it's also bookended with a lot of just regular heartbreak songs. And for me, unless I'm really surprised at my artist trajectory, I don't see myself having the patience to write a full concept album. It's just really a moment where I collect you know, my experience with the world, which is probably always going to be me getting my heart broken and me being pissed off in politics. So, you know, I don't see there being a ton of different things on, on a new album or even, I mean, there'll be new songs, but I'm not going to come out with a pop rap, you know, album. If it's not, you know, broke, don't fix it. And I kind of look up to bands like CCR and stuff that just have like, their signature sound and at the end of the day more than a performer more than a musician I'm a writer and so I always want the focus to be on my words and the only way I sing it sorry we'll let people (laughs) down won't be coming out with that pop album (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't want you to I (laughs) I loved this album just from what I read and I don't want to make an assumption but that your politics are really different from the ones that you grew up with. I was wondering if you could describe that process for you and how you came to move along this path. Oh, Lord. Well, let's see if uh, it's a very long story. I will try to skip over all the in-between details, but Mm -hmm. I was raised in a very strict Southern Baptist church. And for a few years in my teenage years, I became uh, really serious about church and a real nerd about it. And I loved reading concordances and really got into doctrine. And, you know, except for the fact I was a woman, so there was no future being, I was like maybe praying to be a, a preacher's wife. I don't know. I, I just took a real big interest in theology And that oddly, just with how in-depth and a nerd I was about it at such an early age, made I sought out a lot of mentors to talk about doctrine and about interpretations and things. And I found that at a certain point, I was going to be met with this idea that at some point I was just going to have to have faith. And, you know, 
But the more research I did into certain things that seemed, especially in my denomination of being a Southern Baptist, things that seemed like just pillars of our belief system, like not speaking in tongues, eternal security, all these types of things. A lot of, or not drinking alcohol. I I was raised in a house where we didn't drink alcohol. A lot of these things were affected socially and actually didn't have a stance as far as that it wasn't like completely derived from God's word. It was kind of like pieced together in a historical context with where society was at the time. And a lot of the preachers that I went to that I looked to as mentors just really didn't like that. But I never shook it. And when I went to college, being so entrenched in doctrine actually got me into philosophy. And the whole thing I was obsessed with was the idea of free will. For a moment, I thought I was a five-point Calvinist. I tried this idea of being a literalist and all this stuff. And I just went on this huge journey. And through that kind of thing, it's like, oh, God, maybe I am a poster child for a liberal education makes you into like a crazy, you know, Bernie t-shirt wearing progressive. Not really, but it's just it led me to a very important moment in my life where I realized that there are a lot of valid answers, but there's not a lot of sound answers. And I think that applies to the way I look at people and human experience and also the reason why I really don't look at, well, if it works for me, it must work for everybody. That's not true. And a lot of our policies and politics are a one size fit all. And I'm adamantly against that. And so even though I'm not really into the two party system thing that much, but I will always vote for people who I feel like at least fight against the one size fit all thing, you know, like for the most part. It's so interesting to me that somebody thought that you were writing a concept album when writing some songs that happen to be about politics. Like, isn't that just life? Isn't that how like we experience? Yeah. Well, it's also just like journalism. Mm -hmm. I mean, for instance, if you, you know, know a lot about music, probably I didn't, I, I, and one other thing is you did say I really, I did not release the album in May. I, I, that was my, when it was supposed to release. That was when it was announced to release, had to move that back to July. But in my press cycle, I had a lot of people who were talking about the idea of a concept album. I remember one journalist specifically during June, which was, you know, really the height of the protest. This guy tried to make my song Burn Down the City, like so relevant for what was happening in (laughs) Louisville, Kentucky. And I was like, well, first of all, they're not burning down Louisville. Two, I wrote this song nearly a year and a half ago or I recorded it a year and a half ago. Like, there's no way, like, I'm not in, we are not going to go down that, like, hole of me trying to co-opt a movement and be like, oh, yeah, it totally fits. Like, that's so stupid. But I think it's just people are looking for a better story. And a lot of people don't like the idea that this was just how I felt in the moment. And here's the song. And I don't really have that much else to say about it. (laughs) also that song has so many like biblical references like i didn't hear it as a particularly like political song yeah it kind of made me understand that he like the only thing he remembered of the whole song was just the chorus and i was Mm -hmm. like well at least that there's that i don't know (laughs) you know most people don't even make it to the chorus of the song you can (laughs) hold someone's attention for 30 seconds you better have the chorus in 15 or they're just gonna you know skip scroll down (laughs) i hear that as someone who gets a lot of music (laughs) maybe it just also speaks to the fact that as queer people like we kind of have to pay well that's not true (laughs) because there are plenty of queer people who don't but just this idea that a lot of like what happens in our daily lives and can be dictated by politics so probably we keep more of an eye on it than others might and people don't realize that that the personal is political so to speak absolutely and that's what you know I always say it's been really interesting to me watch artists that have way larger platforms than me kind of come to the party late but get a lot of praise for saying Mm -hmm. really 
really basic ass shit like Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's like, duh, you know what I mean? It, it, and so I think no matter what, even though I don't have a, you know, enormous platform, I'll always be thankful that Old Time Filling wasn't written in 2021. Old Time Filling started probably in 2016. That's probably when I started working on that song. And that just means that at least I had the wherewithal to realize that these issues have always been prevalent. And, you know, I won't ever regret that. I'm not saying I'm a genius for recognizing that. It just means that I had my eyes open (laughs) around me. And I'm just really perplexed at people who never have used their platforms to talk about racial justice or socioeconomic problems. It's like, don't we have a history as musicians and a legacy that have done that in the past. Why are people so hesitant to say things right now or at any time? Yeah. It's really it's really sad now that the record sales of that, what's his name, Morgan Wallen guy, you're put in the position as like an artist trying to make it, thinking like, so is that what you got to do? You got to like hope to land on a crazy like racist album to get some money out of this business is that what we're doing and the crazy thing about that even though his record label you know have released him or whatever they still are raking in a lot of money off of that racist you know? yeah so it's just like and it's all was, the show it's yeah a show. i wanted to talk also a little bit if you feel comfortable discussing it just talking a bit about your coming out process both in terms of like when you began to understand within yourself that you're queer and also if you want to talk about it uh, coming out to the people around you, whatever you feel most comfortable with. One, everybody's story about a self-discovery and when they, you know, a hundred percent knew they were gay is so different. And I mean, I don't know, maybe I don't, how can I know when I knew that I was gay? (laughs) I don't really know I oddly never had boyfriends growing up I don't know you know I mean I had like my sixth grade boyfriends and stuff I did not come out to my family I was found out and you know I don't typically discuss the specifics of that so I won't and but definitely my life changed overnight I'll say that and there has been many years of, you know, finding forgiveness where it could be found. And if it can't be found, then it has to be made with yourself. And, you know, there's just a lot of processing. And I don't know if I will have processed it all by the time I leave this world. I'll just say this, I I don't mean to be so closed lipped about my personal experience with that, because especially as an artist, I understand that it would for someone be powerful for me to tell every specific thing that was said to me or had happened. But the complexity around talking about your story often involves people who though you may not agree with, who may have caused you a lot of pain, you still deeply love. And even though they don't deserve it, you still protect them. And that's just between me and my counselor. (laughs) (laughs) I think if people can put the pieces together through my art and other things I say, and right now that's just all I feel comfortable getting into. I mean, no one has to feel obligated to do anything, right? And Or to talk about their personal experiences. I think there is, you know, a lot of feeling like it when you're like a queer public figure that you have to like, or even not, right? Just be able to, this pressure to feel like you have to explain yourself and be ready to have that story so that it's consumable for other people or understandable. Yeah. But I That's think a- it's also useful to hear that it's still something that you also have to process through and you're not, no one's ever really totally finished with it. I think that's more my approach is, okay, if, I will never be a really good gay poster child (laughs) in any regard. One, 
think the rainbow flag is pretty tacky. Don't <laughs> enjoy that. I think I like more like earth tones, you know, so there's just a lot of thing about like my community that I just don't fit in. Don't really like parades. Never been to a pride event a day in my life because I think it is, you know, I don't think it's safe. And I'm not talking about, I mean, as a potential, someone would be mean to you there. I'm just talking about logistics of what if there's a fire, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm, I'm being yeah. really kind of serious here. Yeah, I have yeah. OCD and I like look at crowds a lot differently. And I'm like, yeah, parade just doesn't seem like the place for me, but I enjoy the hell out of the thought that some people live for that moment. And I'm so happy for them. And I'm like, if that is you go for it, you do you, you know, but that's not me. So I can't really speak to a lot of stuff that, you know, people have kind of capitalized off of gay people of like, well, where's your favorite pride or like what, you know, where's the places you hang out? It's like, I'm a shut in with a dog (laughs) and you know, I never, think about these things I'm still figuring it all out and I think that's important to say too is just it's okay to still be processing and figuring out what you want to share with people because at the end of the day just because you're an artist not everybody deserves your story like Mm -hmm. that you know and that's just kind of how I feel about it but it's hard too because currently some things I face a lot are because our culture is trying to be more inclusive and show on a face level that they're more diverse as a queer woman in the genre I am and from the South who is politically, you know, I guess active or like vocal. I am asked to be a lot of people's moral currency without getting paid for it, (laughs) you know? And, And it's like, that's kind of the thing too is, is like for my story and stuff I there's a part of me that's scared the more you put out about yourself like that the more people just want to capitalize off of it and it so that's another reason why I kind of try to keep what I can personal oh I understand you know as a teacher I sort of feel like I've crafted this persona over the years so that and maybe you feel that way when you're performing on stage so that you know part of it is so that you don't take things so personally but also because you need to have that distance between yourself as an individual and like facilitating whatever the performance is whether it's a classroom or on stage yeah well I mean I think one of the most genius artists out there is Orville Peck for the sole reason that he wears a mask all the time like imagine just like walking around knowing that like you always get to just put on the costume and then leave it wherever you know and just you could walk through the same crowd and no one would know who you are you are an artist like you know what we're there's not a lot of mystery unless you were really fortunate and you came out and you had a massive hit and you had a million followers all of a sudden overnight and then you never had to post on social media But if you're trying to grow your platform and you're being pressured to like or suggested for you to like (laughs) get a TikTok, post this many times a week, be personable, you know, all of a sudden I'm letting America into my living room. It's very strange having to pretend like the whole world is your friend. And also I'm a pretty goofy person. It's like suggested that I show my personality on social media. And that's really vulnerable. To yeah. do. I'll send a really ridiculous video to my best friend, but I'm trying to be more vulnerable and my true self on social media right now. It's shitty, but it's like, obviously, the people who are encouraging you to do this know a lot more about this kind of thing. I mean, I didn't even know my iPhone had a flashlight on it until like a few <laughs> years ago. So, yeah, it's taken me a long time to get to where I can even, you know, be responsible enough to remember my login information. So it's just been a whole whirlwind of learning and expectations and also kind of realizing that my job isn't just to write songs. Mm -hmm. I can see that in 
your songwriting. Uh, I wanted to make sure we highlighted uh, Tender Kind for the podcast, at least, because I feel like, to me, it is both a really beautiful love song and I think maybe also sort of a breakup song. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. right. So I'm not asking you to talk about like the details behind it or anything, but I was wondering, like, maybe you could speak to how you're able to tell this very vulnerable story and it's so poetic and beautiful and maybe there's a way that you've uh, created some mystery around it or shrouded it a little bit. What is the mystery there? Let me ask you that back. Like, what, yeah. what mis- What's mysterious about it? I guess nothing. And maybe this is a dumb question. It's not a dumb question. I was just wondering because I was like, wait a minute, what was I being mysterious about in that? Yeah. I mean, are you asking like why I didn't use like pronouns or something or? No, I mean, I think also maybe it stood out to me in the album because it feels a bit more like more of a ballad than some of the other songs that it feels like a really distinct tonal shift. Yeah, it was. It was. I actually finished writing that song in the studio. And right before I went to the studio, I wrote the first verse and my chorus. Hello, doggy. Oh, hold on. Hey there. It's me from the future. At this point, <laughs> my dog Bella decided she wanted to enter the chat. So, of course, that meant that. I needed to be introduced to SG's dog, Howard, an all-American terrier who's a very good boy, but I did not think that would make for the most exciting podcast listening because you can't see how cute they both are. So we'll skip ahead and move on to our regularly scheduled programming. So I think you were saying that you had were writing a tender kind in the studio. You'd written a couple of the verses. Yeah, so I came in with the first verse in the chorus that you hear and uh, I finished the second verse in the studio but yeah that was I mean all the songs that were themed around heartbreak on that album were about my then current heartbreak as a songwriter in my experience I have never written a song and like changed anyone's mind okay normally I'm more (laughs) of like it's more like a prophecy that it's just totally gonna blow up And it's really scary because in my experience, if I'm with someone and I'm starting to write a breakup song, it's kind of like foretelling. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like, I think Tender Kind was just the last little, my last little heartbeat there in that relationship Mm -hmm. for that person. And that was it. But, you know, it was a Tender Kind I love her dearly. You know, maybe if the record ever makes me any money, I'll send her flowers and well and well wishes. But that's all you can hope for. It's like as an artist, I've kind of I've kind of just decided that one, I'll never have it would take I don't know. I don't know what kind of woman would really put up with my lifestyle. It's sick. I'm never home. I'm basically a truck driver. You're just always gone. And my job is to get attention. And that just, in a lot of ways, is kind of fucked up. And <laughs> it's, yeah, it, so probably I might be able to write heartbreak songs forever. <laughs> <laughs> With the way it's looking. But you never know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I also wanted to pair Space and Time, which I feel like has a very vintage sound, with maybe one of your influences. I feel like a lot of the sound on this album is very, like, spacey and kind of psychedelic i mean i love etta james she's a huge influence of mine you know roy orbison type of stuff also santo and johnny that kind of feel these old like shiny but classic just sounds and really that song kind of wrote itself it just couldn't be any other way than the way we did it. And I was very protective of that going into the studio. When I wrote that song, I finished it with my, we were at band practice and I finished it with my drummer by just me and him. The other people were downstairs because 
Steven and I have been playing music together for 10 years. And for a large period of my career, it was just me and him. So it feels very natural to work out a song with just him. And so I finished the song in probably about 20 minutes, called the boys upstairs. And still to this day, I have an iPhone recording of our first ever take of that song. And the guitar solo is the same. The bass is pretty much the same. And what I'm doing, everything is almost exactly like that. It's never changed. And I was protective of that because it truly represents that moment in my life and the people who I was sharing it with, who were my bandmates at the time. I've, I don't know if I'll ever write a song that's more special to me, really. Well, since we were talking about the classics, and because I think they sound so similar, we're going to listen to Etta James's At Last, the iconic song, and then we're going to pair that with S.G. Goodman's own gorgeous anthem, Space and Time. Whoa. 
This episode of Country Queer Spotlight is brought to you by New West Records. Aaron Lee Tastian's fourth solo album, Tastian, 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 pushes the boundaries of taste and imagination to new heights, unrestrained by genre or subject matter. Available now at newwestrecords.com or your favorite local indie record store. This podcast is also brought to you by Symphony Space in New York City. Join musician Jake Blount in a virtual performance, highlighting Appalachian music traditions and the experiences of queer people and people of color. May 6th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Information and tickets at symphonyspace.org. You're listening to Country Queer Spotlight, the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. You can find more queer country content and merch at countryqueer.com. Now, back to the show with your host, Rachel Colst. What are you prepping for next? I know you've got a couple of shows coming around. Well, I am going into the studio next weekend. Yes, I love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on album number two. We've got some cool stuff coming down the pipe. I'm going to be releasing a couple of things, not necessarily like singles. I mean, it's possible I might release a single this year, but we're going to be releasing some stuff this year. You know, it's kind of like, it's so weird. feels like I've already lost this year with the pandemic again. You know, I'm just trying to gear up for 22 and... I don't know if I was really ready to go ahead and make another album, but in January, that's what I decided to do. I was Mm -hmm. like, I've been writing these songs. I feel an album coming on. I need to stay active for my sanity and I've got something to say. And when it's time to go, I want to be locked and loaded. So I'm just going to get it in the can, as they say, and, (laughs) you know, have some fun. It's going to be me and my boys my last question is we already talked about so this is cheating Uh, do you have a queer country artist who you'd like to shout out i'm gonna shout out mr joe troop yes and play anything you want by joe if uh, you don't recognize his name sg and i both realized we're not necessarily pronouncing it correctly but his band che appalachia is a name that uh k appalachia maybe it was, I think, I'm pretty sure it is Che, Apple, che Appalachia, <laughs> but I think you say Appalachia different. Okay, yeah. I, I will, think that's the word we're, like, messing up on, but... Yeah, um, I will do some research. We get the point, Joe, <laughs> and your fuse, fuse, fusing culture bullshit. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, so listeners might be more familiar with uh, that band name. And uh, yeah, and then after that, we'll listen, we'll close the podcast out with Redbird Winter, which is also one of my favorites from the Redbird um, Morning. Shit, I typed the wrong thing. We're so sorry about that. Oh, I don't care. Redbird <laughs> Winter would have been a better name. <laughs> that could go on the yeah. next album. Yeah, exactly. That's what <laughs> I should do. Just like rename all the songs just a little bit. <laughs> like album 1.5 the way i stalk <laughs> you know <laughs> sorry i'm imagining the lyrics to that one <laughs> i know yeah it's like pretty silly <laughs> it's me from the future again i did some fat checking and as it turns out we were pronouncing j appalache correctly so we'll listen to that. <laughs> we'll listen to them and their Grammy-nominated song, The Dreamer. And then we'll close it out with S.G. Goodman's own Redbird Morning from her incredible album, Old Time Feeling. Yeah. 
shepherds would roam or so harsh a land there the sun beats down like hellfire bones mark a path clear across the sands forlorn souls upon them walking ay 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 mi corazón venga nuestra salvación Moses, one but one year old, when his mom crossed the border. Two little girls skirt along in tow, he was crying on her shoulder. Their long journey's end was yet can count tobacco road, North Carolina. Where a grief-stricken daddy prayed through desperate nights, his family'd soon be reunited. Ay ay ay, mi corazón, venga nuestra salvación. Moses grew up playing hide and seek amongst His mama's fear ran mighty deep in the hills of Appalachia. Blue flashing lights through endless nights proved the world was unforgiving. An immigrant child must face a life where dreaming is forbidden. Lord, when all Summer green gives way to Auburn Into the wilds was Moses thrust For to wait against rough waters Now you and I can sing the song And we can build a congregation But only when we take a stand Will we change our broken nation? Lord, when all is said and this tidal race is rocking, is there room for the sun? After all is said and
This episode of Country Queer Spotlight is brought to you by New West Records. Pick up your copy of Aaron Lee Tastian's fourth solo album, Tastian, 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 available now at newwestrecords.com or your local indie record store. This podcast is also brought to you by Symphony Space in New York City. Join musician Jake Blount in a virtual performance highlighting Appalachian music traditions and the experiences of queer people and people of color. May 6th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Information and tickets at symphonyspace.org. Well, cowpokes, we've reached the end of the trail for this episode. Thanks for listening to Country Queer Spotlight, the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. Head on over to countryqueer.com for more queer country content and merch. Rachel Colst has been your host and producer. For new music by Roots artists of all genders and orientations, listen to our weekly podcast, Adobe and Teardrops. Country Queer Spotlight is edited by Zach Tomlinson, executive produced by Country Queer's founder, Dale Geist. And our theme song, Ride Me Cowboy by Paisley Fields, is courtesy of Don Giovanni Records. Ride me cowboy.